Today's title is A Paradox in the Church. We have heard that word paradox, and I want you to know that even though we are going to be looking at some Greek writings, the reason is because Paul quotes those Greek writings. And so there has to be something to them or they wouldn't be in the scriptures. So I hope that you will tarry with me as we develop what does it mean when we say there is a paradox in the church. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are unsettling whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts. Lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And let's always remember that the power resides in God's word. Thank you. You may be seated. Harsh words. Harsh words. Though philosophy is something that I enjoy and I have taught in college for several years, Ancient Greek philosophy actually is a part of today's text. That's the reason we're beginning our message in this manner. And though I have studied it for years, I am very much aware of its place and its purposes in my studies. For instance, Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. From Titus in chapter 3, we will get to that in several weeks. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. And then from 1 Timothy, which we studied earlier this year, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. When I began to study seriously theological issues while at seminary, I became aware of how ignorant I was of other worldviews and non-Christian ideas. After all, I had only been a music major. I once asked 
my theological mentor why he read philosophy. His his answer was simple and direct. He used philosophy as a tool to sharpen his mind. Philosophy will not lead you to truth. There are so many theories of truth that one may conclude that there is no absolute truth. We don't know when Paul studied the Greek thinkers, but we know that he studied them. And God chose to use Paul to evangelize the known world because he was no stranger to the philosophies, the theories, the plays, the comedies, the tragedies, and other writings of his day. And in our text, he quotes what's called a Greek prophet or poet. They're used simultaneously. And this Greek word for prophet or poet is also used in Hebrew tradition, in Christian traditions, and among the Greeks. But among the Greeks... Um, Epimenides is one of those who interpreted oracles. As a poet, he would sing under divine inspiration. That probably meant that he took drugs. (laughs) In a way, he was a religious, mystic philosopher. My point is this. Paul not only knew about philosophical ideas, he knew the names of those who created them, and he would quote them. Verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. For you who are new to our study... Paul, an older minister, is writing to Titus, a younger minister, who lives in Crete among the Cretans. And he basically is like a bishop over the different churches on the island of Crete. And when you read the first several verses of this chapter, what you see is that Paul is telling uh, Titus, I want you to set things in order. Things are out of control at the churches. So the first thing I want you to do is that I want you to appoint elders in each church who can deal with these situations that we are getting ready to talk about. Now, this quote from chapter 12, or verse 12, is a quote by Epimenides, in his exaltation of Zeus. Evidently, the Cretans have decided that Zeus really doesn't live or that he's died, that he's not true, but Epimenides is a believer. And so this is what he wrote, referring to the Cretans. Cretans. They fashioned a tomb for thee, a holy and high one, The Cretans, always liars, evil beasts, idle billies. But thou art not dead. Thou livest and abidest forever. And in thee we live and move and have our being. Does that sound familiar? 
Paul took a 6th century poet who wrote about Zeus and applied it to the unknown God. Now, do you see the paradox of a Cretan says that all Cretans are liars? All right. If he's telling you the truth, then he's a liar. If he's lying, then Cretans tell the truth. Here's a paradoxical statement. The barber shaves all men in the village who do not shave themselves. Who shaves the barber? You see, if the barber is shaving all the men in the village who do not shave themselves, if that is true, then he should not be shaving himself. But if he's not shaving himself, he should because he shaves everyone who doesn't shave themselves. Now, you might be saying, Neil, this is not biblical preaching. (laughs) Actually, Paul, Titus, the Cretans, the Greeks, they knew this poem. They knew that it was a paradox. Epimenides was probably the first to be considered one to use paradox to get his point across. If his statement is true and all Cretans are liars, then the statement is false because Epimenides is a Cretan. He violates the law of non-contradiction. Did you notice after he quoted that, Paul said, that statement is true. So I thought, that is really weird that Paul would say that. And so I started reading, and you wouldn't believe the criticisms of Paul to believe a paradox. And that Paul would have fallen into being guilty of violating the law of non-contradiction. Therefore, it is used to show that the Bible can't be inspired. In Acts chapter 17, he quotes Epimenides as well as other philosophers. He was well read. He knew the tragedies, the comedies, and the philosophical writings. And if you know anything about the Greeks, they love to play with your mind. Thus why conversations with me are sometimes hard to follow. (laughs) Epimenides is using hyperbole, a literary technique. He doesn't mean that every single Cretan is a liar. It means as a whole, the whole society is one of liars. But there probably are some individuals who aren't, like himself. Paul understood this. 
So Paul was not agreeing with the paradox. Paul was agreeing with Epimenides' description of Cretans, that the culture is morally bankrupt and has lost its way. And what he is telling Titus is you have a hard job ahead of you in ordering the churches because the whole island is full of corruption. This is not in my notes, but I guess Paul was telling Titus, you're going to have a hard time draining the swamp. Now, this text should cause us difficulty for two reasons. Number one, how can there be such people who are such antagonists and insubordinate and rebellious and empty talkers in the church? That should disturb us. The second thing that should disturb us is that Paul is telling this young pastor, you've got to confront this. Now, many congregations can tolerate unbiblical preaching as long as the pastor isn't rude, mean, or sharp. In other words, many congregations and individuals in congregations... They're more apt to judge the preaching by the way the sermon is um, given instead of what is said. Most pastors will lose their job pretty quickly if they don't preach nicely in their church. But many people in church do not know truth and error. All they know is the way that it was said. Since the beginning of Christianity, there have been individuals who cause problems in local churches. And while most troublemakers may not want to destroy the church, some may, but most may not, they want to take control or cause turmoil. Whether it's through theological debate or through undermining the leadership. There are some who are so blind by their own selfishness their own pride, and their own tradition, that they have a hard time understanding biblical truth. One of the greatest problems throughout church history has been the rise of false teachers. Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 7, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. We also need to remember that sometimes false teaching can become institutionalized and the church itself creates traditions, ceremonies, rituals, and doctrines that are not biblical. After all, that is the reason Luther, Calvin, Tyndale, Zwingli, and others sought to reform the church before they were excommunicated to start the Protestant Reformation. The church considered them troublemakers. 
And all they want to do was to restore the church to its original biblical foundations. In today's text, Paul focuses on the nature of the troublemakers. The ones who were causing most of the trouble were Jewish. When he says most, he means that there were others doing the same thing, but these were the most powerful. And they were bringing non-Christian doctrines and practices into the church. Christ was no longer the focus of the teaching. They strayed from what Paul had taught and what uh, Titus had taught. They were adding laws and rituals and ceremonies to the gospel as a necessary means of salvation. Now, there are all kinds of teachings out there that are unbiblical. Some of them are theological. Some of them have to do with practice. Now, let's be honest. Don't we wish that these things did not exist in the church? But they do. Wouldn't we rather them go away of their own accord? But they won't. Paul is telling Titus that you cannot avoid or ignore these things in the church. In verse 10, he says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. These teachers had infiltrated the church. Infiltrate means to enter or gain access of an organization or a place in order to subvert the leadership or to take over. They seem to have already held positions in the church. But they just weren't few. Notice what he says, many. The word insubordinate means rebellious. Empty talkers means that they were devoid of meaning or they were void of meaning and purpose. The Stoics in Greece were known for their much talking that went nowhere. But it sounded so good that they led people astray. Even some of the listeners wanted to pay them. They caused division. They were destroying families. The gullible looked to them as teachers and leaders in the church and thought they deserved compensation. Do you remember what the Apostle John said in his first epistle? Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are from God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. What is John trying to tell us? It is not enough for you to come on Sunday morning and hear someone else talk about what the Bible says. Hopefully they're talking about what the Bible says. You need to be studying the Bible. On your own, in small groups, have a discussion, dialogue, so that Others can help clarify the meaning of the scriptures that you read. People in churches today specialize in confessing to know Jesus because it's popular to do that in some quarters. To sing praise songs about him, to wear Jesus t-shirts and wear large crosses 
But Paul is reminding us that ungodly living and misplaced priorities deny everything that we say. If we profess to know Jesus but live like the world, we are a paradox. And this is where the paradox comes into play. You see, we preach, at least here, I don't know about your church if you come from a different church. We preach that the gospel transforms people into Christ followers. That the old is gone and the new has come. And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about moving toward the image of Christ. Jesus told Nicodemus that you must be born again. It's not enough to simply be religious. It's not enough to simply come to church. It's not enough to simply do the things that the church requires. There must be a new birth. The Spirit of God must come to us, convict us of our sins, awaken our spirits and our mind of our need for Christ to give us faith to trust Him. And we turn from those things. It's called conversion. This is what we believe here. And this is what we preach. We say that Jesus makes a difference. Yes, we are sinners. We are saved by grace. We're not perfect. But our hearts and our minds no longer are controlled by the spirit of this world. No longer does the old nature, which we still have, control us. Even though we have to deal with it on a daily basis. The Spirit of God is our teacher. Thus, we no longer need to strive for more worldly information to gain the truth. He has placed us a conscience, within us a conscience. The Holy Spirit purges just cultural things. And we become sensitive about moral things and biblical things in our thinking and in our actions. The churches in Crete had many who taught and lived in a manner that was counter to everything that Christ stands for. That was the paradox. Today our churches are so filled with hypocrisy that the world has turned away from the gospel itself because they no longer believe what we say. Why? Because we don't live what we say. That's a paradox. And the way that we address the gospel and immorality and false teaching, that can be paradoxical as well. For instance, I know of some people, when they confront error, they have a terrible judgmental attitude. It's almost as if they enjoy rebuking people. What a loving pastor that is. And they heap legalistic and judgmental teachings and behaviors. Where is the Spirit of Christ in that? Where is grace? Where is a sorrowful call to repentance? 
and we mourn over the things that we see. But the opposite is true. That's not only a paradox. Here's another paradox. There are those who, for the sake of love, put up with gross immorality and false teaching within the church, and they look the other way. I'm talking about leaders. They act as if there's no truth at all, that we're just going to get along. This is also a paradox. Why does this scripture apply to us? Because we all have the old nature of the Cretans. That's our fallen nature. Theirs just have gone berserk. But that old nature is not to rule the church. This is Christ's body. This is Christ's bride. This is a part of Christ's kingdom. Though we are not perfect, we are called to exemplify Christ in our lives. We are to be Christ-centered in our preaching, our teaching, and our living. And this biblical truth is not simply to be something that we hear at the church. Our children and our grandchildren and our adult children should be hearing it at home. Of course, I've been speaking to the church, but I'd like to shift gears for one more paragraph. If you are one who is still struggling with faith, coming to Christ, I encourage you to do several things. Focus on Christ, not the inconsistencies and the paradoxes that you see in the church. Christ really does make a difference. You will not find what you're looking for in academia, movies, politics, or in philosophy. I cannot explain the paradox in the church. I don't know why it still exists. I know that Jesus taught the parables that they're the wheat and the tares and they grow up together. The weeds and the corn. Look to the cross. That's where you will see the demonstration of God's love and mercy and grace and what He did to bring us to Himself. It is there you will find true forgiveness and transformation. Would you pray with me? Father, I think we're all disturbed with the paradox that we see within the churches. And some of us are uncomfortable that we would have to address it. 
But, Father, even in the most radical situations, I pray that the church would be one of love and grace and redemption and reconciliation so that all would come to know the truth of the gospel. So, Father, for us as a church, help us not to be judgmental or arrogant in our positions, but sorrowful for the truth of what we see. And for those who are seeking, would you draw them to Christ? And see the wondrous love of God on the cross demonstrated in his death. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.